Oh, look, there's no reader to do the reading. Oh, what are we going to do? I'm trying to think. Maybe we should all read the reading. That's an idea, isn't it? That's what we're going to do. Right. So, um, we're looking at this theme of revive this morning, and we're focusing on Psalm 119. Now, um, it has got 176 verses, so we're not going to read them all. And also, you keep your Bible open, but we are going to have the words on the screen in a moment, um, and we're going to read it together. And, and the way we're going to do it is the, bl- the black ones are the odd verses, so the people on the band side are going to read the, the ones in black, the odd verses, and the people on this side and up there, hello. And online, you can choose to do what you like, of course, chaos at home, but the people on the right here um, are going to read the red verses, okay? That's how it's going to work. And this is an acrostic psalm, which means, you see the Daleth there, that's the first letter, which is D, I think, in Hebrew, um, of all those things there. But in English, obviously, it doesn't quite work. But that's to explain. It's made up of these 22 things of um, different letters. And it helps people remember it. It's also beautiful, poetically. But uh, we're going to say it in English. So the letters come up like that. You don't have to read those. So that first one's Daleth. The next one that will come up, you'll see there, is called Hay. And the last one's called Vav. And that they will come up as little headings. And that's, that's the first letters of each section. And the general theme of this psalm is really, it's just focusing on Scripture. It's referred to various ways in the psalm. So it uses the words law or testimony, precepts, statutes, commandment, judgment, word, promise. It's all linked with Scripture, which, of course, is the Old Testament Scriptures um, that, that the psalmist is referring to that were around at the time. So the basic theme of this psalm is practical use of Scripture in our everyday lives. So that's good, isn't it? Because that's something we can all relate to. Practical use of Scripture in our everyday lives. People like us. Um, and you could fall into the error of thinking the psalmist is kind of almost worshipping the Scriptures rather than God. But I don't think that's the case. He's very much worshipping the God who has inspired the scriptures. He worships him. In verse 33 it says, teach me, O Lord, O Lord, he's referring to God, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. So he is focusing on God. He wants to walk in the way God walks, and the scriptures help him to do that. And the word revive is used in three particular verses in this section we're going to read from 25 to 48. And um, that's what I'm going to focus on in, in the talk this morning. So, if you're able to stand, please do stand. So, band side, you're reading the black verses, the odd verses, and this side you'll read, and the the balcony, and people at home, as I say, choose, or you can read them all. Uh, you're, You're reading the red bit, okay? So off we go. So, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. 
and strengthen me according to your word. Remove me from the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things, and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant, who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Let your mercies come also to me, Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually, forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I shall lift up to your commands, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Amen. Please do have a seat. Well done. You're pretty good readers. Very impressive. I could hear you all. But actually, it's interesting. Uh, apparently, uh, Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, was one, many people have thought about this psalm, but William Wilberforce, he used to sort of repeat bits of it while he was walking. And it, it's kind of got that rhythm, hasn't it? You can imagine you could repeat that to yourself as you're walking, just little bits of it. So maybe you'll remember these three revived verses that I'm going to share with you now. So, so he's extolling the wonders of scriptures here. The psalmist says how wonderful the scriptures are. And bear in mind that when this is written, the scriptures he's referring to are the Old Testament scriptures, and he, he may well not have had all of those Old Testament scriptures himself. Uh, we don't quite know. He won't have had a complete Old Testament that we have today. Yet he saw, uh, in whatever parts of the Old Testament he had, how vitally and wonderfully important was the following of God. And we're spoiled today. We've got loads of versions of the Bible, haven't we? And um, they're freely available to us. But I think we can learn from this disciple here, all those years ago, who, um, who appreciates the Scriptures and the God who inspired them. 
and hopefully it will lead us to appreciate them a bit more ourselves. Now, of course, Paul, who uh, used to persecute the Christians, try and kill them, and did kill some, um, who then became a Christian, uh, followed Jesus himself, he knew the Old Testament really well. And he, that was the scriptures he had. And he's writing to a young t- church leader, Timothy. He said of the scriptures in these well-known words, all scripture is God-breathed, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scriptures are God-breathed, and they equip us for good work. And I'm certain Paul would have read and meditated upon Psalm 119, as well as the other Old Testament scriptures. And it must have been an influence when he wrote these words to Timothy. And this psalm, this section, as I said, mentions the word revive, particularly in three verses. So I want to focus on the word revive this morning. So I'm using an acrostic, uh, the same letter R, as my aid for you to remember what I say this morning. And I do hope that what I say is worth remembering. You'll have to be the judges of that later on. So if we want to be personally revived and bring refreshment and revival to others, we need scripture and we need God's Holy Spirit who breathes life into the scriptures to inspire scriptures and as Paul says, equips us for every good work. We need the Holy Spirit to, if we have the next slide, to revive us personally, to revive all, everybody, revive all for everybody, all, and to revive to survive because Revival is not an optional extra. So those are my big headings. So let's do us revive us personally first. And it is, it's really worth knowing, actually, you ought to go away with this knowledge, that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible because it might come in useful one day. All right? Because there's this bishop called George Wishart. He was Bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century, and he was condemned to death for his Christian faith. But when he was on the scaffold, he made use of this custom that, that they would sing. You could ask them to sing a psalm before you were executed. So guess which psalm he chose? Psalm 119, 176 verses. About two-thirds of the way through, the pardon arrived, and he wasn't executed. So he did well, didn't he? And I thought that's too good to be true, you know, it's such a good story. But actually, I've read, uh, I found in Sir Spurgeon's stuff that he refers to this Bishop Wishart, and he shared the story there, but he thought Bishop Wishart, he, he kind of implied he couldn't quite trust the bloke, you know, he said he was very crafty. But anyway, it worked well in his favour on that occasion. So remember, Psalm 119 is very, very long, might save your life one day. So anyway, let's look at the verses where revive, three verses where revive is mentioned. My soul clings to the dust up there. Revive me according to your word. And then in red, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. And then behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. So let's look at the first one. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. 
And that, that gives the impression, doesn't it, that the writer is like beaten down by life. He's low. He's clinging to the dust, he says poetically. And when I think of that, I, I think of a picture of a person in a desert crawling through the sandy dust, trying to get water in the desert or something like that. He's, he's really pressurized. He's low. Life is hard for him. And we can feel like that a lot of the time. We feel pressurized. We can feel worn out. And this, this guy also mentions that he's facing opposition uh, from others, particularly in this situation. You might feel you kind of face opposition from the culture around, and people think Christians are a bit daft. You know, things like that, you might think. And also other things like illness, bereavement, job loss, how am I going to pay the bills? All those things can beat us down into the dust. Now, I don't know what your situation is this morning, but I think we've all shared those kind of experiences from time to time. And the writer's simple response here is to ask God to revive him according to his word, according to scripture. He goes to God first. He goes to God's, as well, his inspired, his breathed word, the scriptures as well. So you might be thinking, well, what does revive mean? You know, I don't often think what revive means. Well, if someone passes out, you know, they, they might revive, they come around again. We might say they're revived, they're brought back to consciousness, aren't they? They're invigorated, they're given new strength and vision. So that's something to do with revive, isn't it? And when we go to God in hard times or at any time, um, we need his revival, his reinvigoration. And God repeatedly revives people as we can see from the record in the scriptures. In fact, Jesus brought a couple of people back from life, literally. And in the Old Testament last week, if you were here in the evening service, um, we had that famous quote, which uh, came to fulfillment later from Joel chapter 2, predicted many hundreds of years earlier, where Joel writes, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. He's talking on God's behalf here. God's saying, afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And we see the fulfillment of that on the day of Pentecost when the followers of Jesus, they've been scared, haven't they? Because Jesus has died. Everything seems to have gone wrong here. They're beaten down. They're afraid. They're indoors. They're hiding from the authorities. Then they see Jesus, but they're still indoors and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, like he said. So their souls, in a sense, cling to the dust They're beaten down by the death of Jesus. They wait for the Holy Spirit to come and revive them, invigorate them, as predicted in the scriptures by Joel all those years earlier. And then the famous, the famous account of the day of Pentecost, which we're remembering in a few days. Less than 10 now, isn't it? It's a week. Yes, it's next Sunday. Make sure you come next Sunday. Anyway, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they're sitting. Now, you imagine if that happened to us now. This is what God does sometimes, this kind of stuff. This is scary, if you ask me. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard the glories of God, it says elsewhere, 
being spoken to them in their own language. So they're talking to others about Jesus. So the scriptures, the God-breathed word, predicts this revival that occurred on the day of Pentecost when more than 3,000 people became Christians. And the effect of the Spirit coming was these, these beaten down disciples, followers of Jesus, gained courage. They were reinvigorated. They spoke publicly about Jesus. And I think, I wonder if we need that same courage and that boldness as well. And the only way we're going to get it is through the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you with his Spirit. Because sometimes we feel like my soul clings to the dust, but God can revive us according to his word. So this is what happens to people when they encounter God throughout the biblical record. God lifts us up, revives us. And we can see in many places in scripture, he reminds us that he's with us through hard times. And certainly from my point of view, I was trying to remember back before I became a Christian, how I've sort of cope with the Bible then. I didn't really read it much, but I didn't really understand it. But when I became a Christian, you ask God to fill you with his spirit, then it comes alive. You start to see it's speaking to you. It all starts to connect. I mean, I'm sure that's your experience as well. You, you're, you're, you know, you've experienced this as well. But that's the Holy Spirit working to bring the scriptures alive. So we need God's help to get the most out of reading the Bible. Ask him to help you. We need to meditate on it, chew it, chew it, digest it, often slowly and in silence, listening to God speaking through the words of Scripture. This is really important stuff. And I, re- I remember a sermon I heard years ago, back, back in the early 80s probably, and the, the preacher, she said, um, she said, of course, you know you never taste your food, don't you? And I thought, what's she talking about? She said, no, because uh, when, you, when you put that mouthful in your mouth, you're thinking about the next one. So you never taste your food. And I wonder, are we a bit like that with scriptures? We rush through them. We rush through them. So do we ever actually listen to what they're saying to us, you know? We need to taste our food. Take it slowly. Slow down a bit. You don't need to read quite so much. See what it's saying to you, what God's saying to you. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word, says the psalmist. So God revives us to speak about him to others, like the early followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. And God help us, helps us to understand the, the God-breathed scriptures through his God-breathed spirit. Now, so we've looked at revive us personally. Now let's look at revival for all. Revival. Revival for all. And... Um, The next verse, talking about revive, says, verse 37 there, the red one, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Now, so we're looking at revival for all and society, and I'm interested in how God has brought about revival in the past, the the offer of reviving all people, and, and, of course, in that process, culture and society are affected. In the past, not so near past, and today. And in 1904, there was a revival in Wales. And there was this young bloke called Evan Davis, who basically just prayed and prayed and prayed. 
And he prayed for 100,000 people to turn to Jesus and follow him. 100,000, just one bloke. And amazingly, that's what happened in Wales. And the Spirit came in many ways, maybe slightly scary, I don't know. But the Spirit came, and all these people became Christians in an amazing move of God. And one of the problems at the time was, was people would drink excessively. You know, they, you get the money for your week's money, and you go and spend it all in the pub, so you haven't got enough for your uh, family. And when this revival occurred, the pubs, which had been full, were empty, and people were turning to God instead, and they had enough food, for, or more, food, more money for their family. The revival of faith in Jesus led to a change in society in Wales where the problem drinking was reduced significantly. And many of the people had indeed fulfilled the words spoken by this psalmist in verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. So they, these people turned away from you know, excessive drinking. They weren't helped by it. It was ruining their families. And it was worthless to them. And when they turned to God, they were filled with the Holy Spirit who gave them the living water of Jesus to really quench their thirst. So much better, you know. And if you know me, you know I am someone who likes to go to the pub and have a drink. And I hope I don't drink excessively. So I'm not against alcohol per se, but it was a particular problem for those people then. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Now, you might think, well, revival doesn't really happen today, does it? Well, it does. We've got a local example. If you were around here in the early 80s, mid-80s, there was the mission to London led by someone called Louis Palau, who's from South America, and he, uh, he sadly has died now. And that was happening in the 80s. And I, I remember someone that I was um, involved in reading a youth group then. I was young then. Yeah, I know. Anyway, Richard was young, so I always pick on Richard. Richard was young then. It's funny, isn't it? Anyway, um, I remember someone was helping me lead the youth group. And he had this dream. And he said, I've had this dream of a, a big tent on the heath. You know, the tents weren't so common then. And uh, he said, oh, that's funny. And then a few months later, we heard the mission to London was coming. And they were going to erect this big tent on the heath. It's all very exciting. So obviously this was a sign that this was important and lots of people became Christians. And there was also, there was a, there was a big revival within the boys' brigade of this church and lots of boys became Christians. It's very exciting stuff. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't find the figures on how many people became Christians, so I can't give you that, but I know there were a lot. Another weird thing was there were people here trying to smoke dope in the church, and I think we had the wardens had to have a quiet little word that maybe this wasn't the best thing to do. But I know one of them is still a Christian, so maybe a bit of tolerance of these things is a good thing because I know because I met his mum recently, one of them's still a Christian. So there you go. Anyway, that's an aside, just for the internet. You didn't get that at the earlier service. <laughs> All the police come rushing in. There's no one smoking dope now. Right. Anyway, in 1989, there was another revival, and Billy Graham spoke at that one. And 
many people became Christians at that time too. And I had a chat with someone in the church who, who became a Christian at that event. And he went to Crystal Palace and heard Billy Graham. And I believe what he heard was really God speaking to him through his Holy Spirit. Um, and Billy Graham helped in that process. I think that's what's going on here. Anyway, he described how, you know, in the previous couple of years, he, he'd suffered redundancy a couple of times, and then he got a job working for a company whose directors were Christian, and they were Christians, and, and they held regular prayer meetings at work, and he used to go to these. He thought, this is a bit weird, you know, but he used to go to them. And uh, then the chairman of the company knew Billy Graham, so my friend went along to another friend of his at the place where he worked, who was a Christian, and they went along to this meeting at Crystal Palace. And when he heard the talk, it made sense to him, and he really liked the music and the singing and all that. And he wanted to go down the front and give his life to Jesus, but he was too shy, and he just didn't want to go down. But the more he kept resisting it, the more he, he said that kind of warm feeling came over me, and I felt compelled to go down. So in the end, he said to his friend, all right, let's go. So down he went. And, and he said his friend was so shocked, he was shaking, you know, because he couldn't believe what was going on. Um, and then afterwards, he said he gained much more confidence, because he's very shy, and he didn't worry so much about making mistakes, which obviously he was worrying about a lot before. He was also afraid of flying, and, and that wasn't such a problem anymore. He didn't worry about that. And he said, I realized there was more to life than problems. There's more to life than problems, that's what he said. Isn't that great? That's just one little example. So revival for all and society has happened, I hope will continue to happen. It may not always happen in these large meetings of people, but sometimes it does, as we can see from these couple of examples. And it changes people's lives and affects society as people start to follow God's way. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. So now, let's look at the last one, revive to survive. Revival is not an optional extra. We've got to revive to survive. And um, can we have the next slide, please? Thank you. It's that last one there we're looking at, verse 40 now. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. And here the psalm writer talks of a longing a longing or a yearning. Uh, and we might have, I was thinking, what's this mean? It, it's like we were longing and yearning maybe to see relatives after lockdown, weren't we? I was. Um, you know, we haven't been able to see them, so we long to see them, we yearn to see them. And the psalm writer longs for God and scripture and God's good way of doing things to happen in his life. He says, revive me in your righteousness. So what do we long for? Think what, just have a think for a moment. What do you long for? You know, what's really deep within you, you long for? You know, do you long for your team to win the cup? You might do. Or you might long for others to come to faith in Jesus or transformation of society if we do things God's way. Or you might long for justice for all people or an end to poverty or climate-related issues, whatever, to be resolved. We might long for lots of things, mightn't we? And I believe these things are not mutually exclusive, but we have to get them in the right order. The right order. They're all linked, 
But I believe they start to really get, that, get everything going properly. We've got to follow God's precepts first. God's way of thinking and living. And then work for his kingdom in society. So God's right way is seen increasingly in society in the way society is organized and run. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying here there are plenty of people who aren't yet Christians who do fantastic work in lots of these areas, you know, and they, they're doing wonderful things. But I believe the ideal way is to follow Jesus, follow God first and love our neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor, Jesus said. If we turn to God, he forgives us. He fills us with his love. He fills us with his righteousness through his Holy Spirit. And when that transformation takes place in individuals who start to love God, then we can see that the effect often in society as they try to love their neighbor too. You saw that in the Welsh revival, didn't you? Uh, where people cut out or reduced their drinking, which was causing harm. And then if you think of Charles Wesley, there was another revival I could have talked about in the 1700s. Um, apparently one and a quarter million people became Christians in that one. And it led to a reduction in drunkenness and the slave trade was eventually made illegal through the work of Charles Wesley, but other people as well. It eventually was made illegal in this country. And of course, you think locally, we've got the work of Christian street pastors, haven't we? In, in Woolwich, we've got people in the church who go down to Woolwich and do work there, which is wonderful. And, and the figures say from the police, when the street pastors are out, the crime rate goes down. That, that's how it is. It's a wonderful thing. So do we long for others to come to faith? Do we long for that? Is that what drives us? Is that a yearning for us? Do we encourage our friends to follow Jesus? Like that Christian colleague at work encouraged my friend to go to that Billy Graham meeting. And if we long for others to come to faith and we pray for our friends work colleagues and family to become Christians. If our prayers are answered, their turning to God can also lead to others coming to face and the transformation of society to make it more how God wants it to be, more of a righteous society. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness, the psalmist says. So do we long for others to come to faith? Are we really bothered? Is this on the top of our agenda? Well, I hope you share my longing, and I believe God's longing for others to follow Jesus. And if you do, there are plenty of ways you can encourage them. Well, one of them I was thinking about was the thing we've been doing for quite a while is the Pray for Three. If you've never heard of this, because you're new, that, that's fine. But you can think of three or five people, however many you want, just pray for them. Pray for them to come to faith. And God will give you opportunities, I'm sure, to chat with them or help them. Or word one-to-one is another simple thing you can do with someone else one-to-one. Uh, you just get, you have a copy here of this little breakdown of John's Gospel, or they now, now they do Acts, and you can do that with your friend or your work colleague or someone in your family. And then I'm involved with Christians Against Poverty. We need befrienders. Now, we've got a couple of people from this church are befrienders now. And the idea is that when the debt counselor goes in uh, to help these people in debt, um, then they take someone from the local church who can form a link with the local church and then hopefully draw that person to faith and support them. So you could do that. 
Come and see me afterwards if you're interested. There are many ways we can pray and help others. But maybe go back to that question for us all. Do we actually long for others to come to faith in Jesus? Do we or not? Are we bothered? Because if we don't have this longing, then ask God through his Holy Spirit to fill us and revive us. The disciples didn't really have that longing particularly, did they? They were hiding away. When God came, they spoke to others. So revival is an ongoing need for individuals, for the church and for society. It's not an optional extra. People need to come to faith for individual and societal transformation. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, we pray that your spirit will revive us. We pray your spirit will bring revival for all and your spirit will continue to spur us on to bring others to faith, the church and society. We, need, we know we need to revive to survive. And Lord, speak to us in this silence. If there's anything you want us particularly to do or if there's anything you want to remind us about and what I've just said or in one of those verses, Speak to us now, Lord, in this silence. So, Lord, thank you for speaking to us. We pray we'll, we'll do what you want us to do. To your glory, Jesus. Amen.